I could come up with those ideas and I could sell them really well, but I just felt like what I was actually trying to create was limited by who I was really and what my strengths um, and weaknesses were. Welcome to Latitude, the show for freelancers, founders, and creators about all the non-business parts of running a successful business. I interview folks who are defining work for themselves. We look at the mindset and methods it takes to create the latitude you need to do your most creative work. Today, I'm chatting with Sarah Avenir. Sarah is the CEO of Design and Development Agency and Yet, and author of Gather the People, a book about marketing in a more human and authentic way. Andia encourages unique and creative approaches with every project they take on. We'll chat about how they're able to do that consistently and the leadership skills that are necessary to be consistently creative as an individual and as a team. Super happy to have you here, Sarah. Um, for folks that don't uh, know you already, I'd love to kind of get just like a brief introduction of sort of what you're doing now and then just kind of a bit of your background as well. Well, I am currently um, in the CEO role at And Yet, and we've been going toward a new direction that I've been responsible for in my previous role as our chief of strategy. And um, so that's exciting. I am also a writer. I wrote a book, I guess, like five years ago now called Gather the People. I'm forever writing the second um, version of that book, which is really nothing like the first at all. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing right now. Awesome. And so I guess kind of um, since you mentioned the book, what and that was how we kind of originally connected. Um what is kind of the biggest difference with with the new approach compared to the um, the version that you've already published? Well, um, the the one that is out currently, um, yeah, I guess it's not really out anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it it was really based on my experiences as um, someone who built something from nothing by themselves and. Um, was focused on how you take a single idea from its seed to gathering people around it. And how do you do that in a way that's in alignment with who you are and, and how you want to be in the world. And, um, and then the second edition that I'm working on, um, it is, I, since then I've developed a framework that can be applied um, whether you're running a small thing or a thing that includes a larger team. And so it's really just uh, being able to apply that framework. It's not as linear. Like the first one was like, mm-hmm. you start here and then you end up here. And it's sort of, it is a cycle that you go through again and again, but it was very much like um, walking you through each of these different exercises. And this one um, is a lot more holistic and recognizing that like, you may be at any point in in this um, in this framework that we're talking about. Also, it acknowledges that um, one of the the biggest impacts of having a 
well, the approach is really about integrating customers into every phase of your work cycle or in your company and um, how that has an impact on your company or your your personal business's ability to learn what the next right steps are. So it's a lot more um, about learning rather than just about that final outcome. So, um, yeah. But I think there were kind of like two interesting things in what you just said that I'd like to kind of um, pull apart. And the first one is like, you're structuring it as kind of aligning with who you are. And I think that's so, so important. I think like it has to be a combination of like, we hear so much about like product market fit, um, but you also have to be kind of creating something that's like for you. So you have to have that like product market founder fit, which is arguably kind of like the largest one of all the three. Um, And so I'm curious, it sounds like um, you've kind of continued to do like similar work over time, at least from my perspective, both when you were kind of doing more entrepreneurial and more freelance work um, compared to what you're doing with and yet. Um, So I'm interested to see kind of like, how do you see um, that alignment in like your own background where you've kind of done all these different things, but I feel like there's sort of a thread that like connects them all. Yeah. Um, well, I think that that is the thread is just that constant trying to figure out, um, who, who am I really? And like, what is it that I want out of this? And I know that when I, um, uh, first started, um, working for myself, it was just a really tiny web design company. And that was 14 years ago. And it started with just me. And at that time, it was more about like, how do I work for myself? How do I make money doing something that I'm good at? Um, And the internet was fairly young. And there, you know, none of my friends were on the internet. There was no Facebook or, you know, anything like that. Um, Or Facebook would, I don't, I don't know when Facebook started, but it would have been a totally different thing um, back then. Mm -hmm. And nobody, none of my friends actually cared about the web at all. Um, Just a totally different climate. Really weird to think of that being 14 years ago. But, you know, you start off thinking like, I just, I want to make money doing something that only I can do. Um, I want to, and it's less about like fulfilling some personal passion as it is about like, I don't want to work in a full-time job anymore. Right. And then over the years, it's like, okay, well, I've made this work. I now need to hire people. I'm creating this small team. We've got a system going. Um, We've got more work than we can handle. And it's kind of like that hierarchy of needs thing. Like the basic needs being met, what comes up next? It's more like, okay, well, how do, how is this helping me grow as a person? Is this still what I'm interested in? And for me, it, you know, web design and all of that stuff, I was starting to get a lot more curious about like, why is this company wanting a website? What do they think it's going to solve for them? I really want to get into that. And, you know, at the time, like uh, content driven marketing was like, not, not a thing. Um, but I started noticing like people really going to blogs and like, there's no problem getting traffic for a blog at that time, but there's tons of problems getting traffic to a static website. 
And I'm like, well, if the party's over here, let's bring the party to the front. And I actually talked about it like that and um, started thinking about that. So then I got more into um, content marketing and just developing ideas around what um, that could bring. And then the internet evolved, right? And um, you just, and it changed and it, it changed from being a place where like, oh my gosh, I'm finding, I'm connecting with people that are my people. And like, I'm, I'm, I feel like seen and heard and I can be and do whatever I want on the internet to like, oh, my mom's here and my neighbor and like everybody's on the internet. And the internet is starting to feel a lot more like the mall than it did when I started. And so then evolving from that, like, well, now, now what is it that I need from this? And, um, I, I think that that's, that's always the challenge. And I've never been satisfied with just like, okay, well, this thing is making money and, um, uh, it's, it's going, um, Mm -hmm. I've always needed to also have that personal fulfillment, but then having, you know, experienced at and yet our different phases of, of challenge and realizing the pain of what happens when you, like, it doesn't keep going. Like the money just stops. You have a giant contract with a huge client that you scaled up to 40 people for, and suddenly they've invested in this other giant conglomerate company and all their R&D funds are gone, Right. And then, then you realize, okay, well, I can't, like, I, it is really valuable to meet these higher level needs, but without meeting the lower level ones, it it doesn't work. And so then kind of going back to square one and figuring that all out all over again. Um, So, yeah, I think it's just (laughs) been a constant process and a constant question that I've been asking myself um, over and over for 14 years. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm sure it's like sort of thing too, that is like never really solved. It is, as you kind of mentioned, more cyclical rather than linear. Um, yeah. and I, I think that's interesting about the hierarchy of needs because like, we all know about that. Um, or yeah. at least like you have some idea of the concept, but I think applying it to business is, um, really interesting. And similarly to um, another conversation that I had recently um, where he is like working full time and like super stoked about it. And it's kind of allowing him to create on the side um, rather than kind of, I think the, the journey that you're sold in kind of the online entrepreneurship bubble um, Mm -hmm. is that the journey is from kind of full time to like, maybe freelance to like kind of creating your own products. And so it seems like you have kind of also taken a little bit of a different journey that um, you are now kind of like the CEO of this company after doing kind of the more freelance thing. But it sounds like you're still sort of approaching that in kind of like an entrepreneurial way. Um, So I'm wondering how you kind of see that like combination of like entrepreneurship in the context of like a larger organization. Well, I think for me, one of the the biggest drivers is learning and growth. And I, um, after having had my own small team and then gone through some deeply painful learning experiences that brought me back to square one, um, I, I realized like, 
I need other people to help me break through whatever creative ceiling is here. And um, I'd always like done really weird projects on the internet and um, um, took a lot of risks which at least it seemed it seemed risky to other people. To me, it was like, well, how do you differentiate yourself, right? Like, this isn't risky. <laughs> this is like totally normal um, by be- being, you know, you've got to find some way for people to remember you. I could come up with those ideas and I could sell them really well, but I just felt like what I was actually trying to create was limited by who I was really and what my strengths um, and weaknesses were. Like I had created this year long program um, called the tour de bliss, where I took people on this virtual hot air balloon ride to like all of these different like sections of their business. There was like this money garden and like all these weird things. I did that for four months. And then I was like, okay, well, I said this was going to last for a year, but I can't last for a year, right? (laughs) Like, so things like that, that where I'm like, I am like really good at starting things and not as good at bringing them to the level of quality and consistency that I would like to be. So just one example of like a big weakness of mine. So then, you know, being back on my own after having my own small team, this was before Andia entered the picture at all. Um, it was just really like, it was very frustrating that, okay, well, I'm going to be able to do this and be this person, but I can't ever take it to where I know it can be, um, on my own. Mm -hmm. And sort of like after seeing that I couldn't unsee it. And, um, so then when, and yet, um, after a consulting engagement I did with them, they invited me to join their team. I, I, that was one big reason that I was like, yeah, even though I thought I would never work for anybody ever again. So, okay. And so then, um, do you have kind of like a way that you make decisions when you're going through those challenges? Because I think sometimes it's like appropriate to kind of push through that struggle. Um, and yeah. sometimes it like makes more sense, like you said, to kind of find a team or like transition into something else how do you kind of recognize the difference between those two well I think that as I get older I am more likely to want to just push through things and um, see what my limits actually are rather than assuming that I'm a certain way or that like I'm I'm limited in terms of my growth um and um but I don't, I don't know if it's really like a, de- a decision-making process as much as it is a personality trait of constantly like seeing the next thing that could be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the next thing that could be better, like happens to be this other opportunity that's different than um, what I've been doing, um, I'll think about that for a while. And, you know, if it makes sense, I'll just go for it um and I think that as I get older those opportunities that I'm willing to take like they're probably less risky less you know it's like okay I I kind of know myself a lot better than I did and um but I guess that trait in me is still the same 
Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, and so you've mentioned risk a couple of times in like a lot of these different projects um, and specifically how kind of you didn't feel that they were risky, even though like people outside from the outside perspective kind of thought that they were. Um, yeah. How do you like evaluate the like risk versus reward when you're kind of thinking about some of these projects? That's so hard to do. I think uh, after you've been through some things that are, are really challenging And when I think back on like that project that I mentioned as being risky um, or even particularly creative, and I compare that with the things like And Yet has done as an organization that like, like they, um, I guess we had this uh, at the time, I felt like it was a they like, oh my gosh, they, they did all of this. But um, uh, we did a JavaScript for Teams uh, training event called it's alive and (laughs) like with lots of eyes um and it was basically like theater in a training event it was absolutely amazing there was a whole script and uh based on uh, frankenstein theme they had um dinner in a a graveyard like (laughs) with like very strange foods that people were a little bit like uh (laughs) am I supposed to eat this um there was uh music there's like a whole soundtrack to the thing Ben Mitchell is like this just incredible um musician and also um developer and uh it was just absolutely amazing costumes like all of the attendees had lab coats and they were just entered into this story as part of their their training um And uh, seeing things like that, um, that we've done in the past, just because it's like, we know that that's who we are is, you know, it's that whole Disney thing of like, we um, don't make movies to make money. Uh, We make money to make movies. It's that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we've constantly done things like that uh, over the years. And we we want to continue to do them obviously but then um having experienced uh the project being discontinued you know like uh i don't know five years ago or whatever that has had it sort of a ripple effect through time it's definitely changed the way that we think about those things um in terms of when when do we actually prioritize that? Um, I think the last thing we did was And Yet Conf, which was, it was an amazing conference. I mean, it was definitely like this experiential thing um, where we, I don't know, it was, it was absolutely mind blowing. Um, there were tons of different venues. One of them was actually taking like a tour of the B reactor in Hanford and then mm-hmm. having this like discussion about the impact of like technology and like what are the things that we're building contributing to in the future because mm-hmm. at Hanford you know the B reactor they were um they were making the atomic bomb and they didn't even know like they did not know the impact of the technology that they were um they were building and yeah. um, I mean I think we've seen some of that recently too is like you don't necessarily know kind of like how things are going to be applied until like after the fact almost. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, an event like that, 
um, where you can ask these bigger questions and get people out of their typical environments um, and, and connect them. We just, as a company, we feel like those things are really, really important um, to be able to invest in. Um, but I, I think your initial question was, you know, how do you, how do you think about taking risk now? And it's, um, for me, it's like, well, I, I want us to continue taking risks like that. And also it has to fit into our strategic plan as an organization. Um, and so, you know, marrying those things again is like a constant question of, you know, how, how is this? fit into both who we are and um and what we're trying to do um in the world and how we can continue to keep doing that yeah well and and it sounds like um kind of the way you're thinking about risk is almost secondary to the project itself like yeah these things might kind of be seen as risky and like maybe they are maybe they aren't but like you're going to do them anyway and so i i think kind of the one thing i'll pull out of that is that um it's interesting how you can kind of de-risk through like the scope of it obviously when you were kind of like doing things on your own you were still doing projects that like seemed risky but it was kind of like on a personal scale um so like it never really was that risky and like now you have some more um assets and some more resources to kind of do equally creative things, but at, at a, like a larger scale. I'm curious to see kind of like what, how you think that like folks that don't have kind of like a team or like as much of a background or as much experience can like apply some of that into their own work. I think that there's a great opportunity to just do something different. And we're constantly on the internet bombarded with like, well, here's how this should be done. Almost like we know how it should be done because the internet has existed for like such a long time. <laughs> and it's it's mm-hmm. not true. It's actually not existed for very long at all. And in fact, the things that we're told that we need to be doing in order to build something that people love and share with people and participate in and all of that stuff, it seems like those things are set in stone. It seems like, oh, well, we have to show up on all of these social media platforms and we have to um, have a really clear message that is very specifically tied to someone's dire need. Um, And we're offering like the one and only solution to that need. And we have to build a whole narrative around like how the world is this way, but we're going to help you make it this way. <laughs> and it, it's like, oh my gosh, it, it feels so constraining, but mm-hmm. actually getting away from that and thinking like, okay, well, if this is the way that everybody says to do it, maybe that is not how this thing that I want to do is going to differentiate itself. Maybe if I do all of these things that everybody says that you need to do, maybe that's exactly how it'll end up looking like all the things that everybody else is doing. And um, really just challenging yourself to um, think outside of that and pretend like, well, maybe this isn't the way the world is. Maybe this isn't the way the internet is. What can I do that, that would be that would be different and would be true to who I am. And um, obviously there's principles of 
marketing and business strategy and all of that that are really important. But in terms of like taking a creative risk that will have impact on um, the amount of people that you're able to reach or the way that they um, experience what you've made or share it with other people, a lot of that has to do with creating something that um, actually makes some sort of impact on them emotionally to where they'll remember it. And, um, and it's not just something that they've seen before somewhere else. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's like, that's been totally true in my own business as well. Like kind of some of the most successful things have been like something that's like, Oh, I'm just going to like try this. Like, I don't know how it's going to be. It's like, I'm not going to follow all of the blog posts and kind of all of the structure, but I'm just going to kind of put something up there and see what happens because it's like something I care about. Um, and so I think kind of like, obviously it's like not practical for everyone to do that all the time because we do have that hierarchy of needs. Um, but I think kind of cutting that, like cutting out time for that specifically, um, can be making room for it. Right. Like, even now, um, when we're really focused on, we have this new direction and it's taking a lot of relationship building, a lot of one-on-one stuff, a lot of just, um, creating, um, the, the words around what we're doing and getting that out there. And, but, um, our, uh, chief creative officer, Lynn Fisher, um, I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but she is just like, the most rad person she I think she did some of the illustrations on your site correct yeah she did um and if you go to her site actually um she um it's linentonic.com mm-hmm. and uh it her site's amazing but like her projects she has just a ton of personal projects like uh the food place which is like this menu of options from the good place Um, she has like this celebrity top chef site that shows like all the stats from, um, from that, that show. I might even be getting it wrong because I don't, I don't watch it, but like watching her put all of that information together, it's amazing. She has a project called the Hollywood age gap, which basically like shows the age gap between, um, like romantic love interests across like all kinds of movies, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. Like. Uh, she she did um, a single div, which is a CSS art. It was the first CSS art project that I had ever seen, and it's all in a single div. It's all CSS, and it's absolutely like mind blowing. Anyway, just a few examples. There's way more. She just released this like um, U.S. flags site where she made design guides for all of the flags in the United States and its territories. And she, uh, she did so much research and it, it's really incredible. Anyway, she, um, one of the first things that she did in her role as chief creative officer was to think about how we could make room for our own creative projects when we are very, um, focused on helping our clients reach their goals and in reaching our own strategic goals. And so she created this thing called a Glorpy. And what a Glorpy is, it's like an internal fun creative project that takes no more than two weeks um, 
to execute. I mean, like two weeks full full time. Obviously, they take longer because it's usually like a back burner project. Um, but uh, um, they're just super fun things that our team gets really excited about that we can share um, with other people. Uh, we did one called Face Camp recently, which is like um, you can. Um, make an animated GIF of your face really quickly and then it just goes straight into Slack. So we use that for our all hands meetings and we just like ask everybody a question and uh, like what's your favorite breakfast food or something mm -hmm. and then people make a GIF that like sort of <laughs> describes it and then we put it in Slack. But anyway, things like that so that we actually have room to do creative things even when like we are focused on our more basic needs as a company um and we're not currently planning our next like big conference or um anything like that so it's mm -hmm. pretty amazing and i mean i i expect i know the answer to this but would you say that that kind of affects the client work as well and it kind of informs what you're doing with clients yeah absolutely and and also demonstrates to to folks like who we are and um, what the impact is of a creative idea versus like one that is completely strategic for whatever reason. It's like you cannot manufacture. Well, I mean, I guess for whatever reason, you can't man manufacture the heart that goes into something. And mm -hmm. like that is a thing that you can feel in a project that is just like taken off. And, you know, it's like a side project that you just started doing because you you loved it. Like I had a project a long time ago called Hello Month. And it was basically like every single day, I was really struggling during that time emotionally. And so for the month ahead, like I would write myself a letter every day and I would be like, hey, remember um, these things about yourself or um, remember like that believe in this or do this thing that is actually going to make you feel really good or whatever. But um, I started that project just for myself. And that was something that like people remembered for a long time and were just like, man, this thing really, really helped me. If I were to come at that from like, okay, I'm going to try to make a project to like <laughs> increase engagement or whatever. Like I never would have done that. Right. Mm -hmm. But um ironically, like those are the things that really connect with people because you can feel it. Um, yeah. And I, and I mean, I don't think like in the inverse too, like something like that never would have resonated with people if it was like something that you were trying to approach, like from a metric standpoint, like it had to be like something you were personally going through. It couldn't be like kind of created. I feel like it just kind of had to like already be there almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Now, before we jump into the next question, I want to pause for a minute and talk a bit about Podia. Podia is a platform for creating and hosting online courses, digital downloads, and memberships. More than that, though, Podia is a company that believes in and supports creators. They don't just build course software, they really enable people like us to do the work we love. I'm a longtime Podia user, along with a few of the guests on the show. My Podia course has directly led to thousands of email subscribers and five figures in revenue. As a designer, I definitely have a tendency of tweaking and perfecting everything, but most of the time that's not what actually makes a difference. 
Podium makes it easy to focus on creating content that's useful and valuable rather than getting distracted by design edits or a long technical setup process. It doesn't matter if you're an expert developer or creating your first ever digital product. Podium makes it fast and easy to create something that not only looks good, but converts well. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably working on creating something. Whether that's an app, a course, or an entirely new business, creating something out of nothing is hard, but Podium makes creation a little bit easier. They're offering 15% off for life to listeners of the Latitude podcast. To get your discount or to just learn a bit more, go to podia.com slash latitude, or there's a link in the show notes. All right, let's get back to the interview. And so I guess kind of one thing that going back to how you sort of scope those projects, um, I'm curious to dive into is you mentioned that it does have kind of a pretty fixed scope of two weeks. Um, And yeah, that may kind of expand if people are not working on it full time. Um, But that's something I've been talking about with um, our mutual friend, David Sherry, um, that like having that structure and that guardrails can almost make you like more creative because you have that time constraint. Um, And I'm curious if that's something you've seen and if you kind of have any thoughts on that. Oh yeah. Well, it's absolutely true. It's just that whole like need for some sort of creative constraint Um, or else, you know, it could grow to be this enormous project that is actually a product that would then need to be supported um, by our team (laughs) indefinitely. And then we would need to break that part off and start another company. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. uh, we're not really into doing that right now. Um, but yeah, definitely having that constraint, um, helps to give you more ideas about what we can do within that time rather than, rather than fewer. I think just the wide openness of just like, you can do anything is, Mm-hmm. often like the worst for creatively approaching something yeah well and I mean that that's like kind of the same approach that I'm trying to take with this podcast like I've definitely struggled in the past to like write regularly um and yeah. I think part of that is like like you said kind of everything on the internet like basically is telling you like oh you need to be like publishing every week and like sending to your mailing list um And I feel like at least kind of for me, like I can just kind of like get in my head with like, oh, I have to do this like every week. Like that's too much. (laughs) Yeah. Versus like I'm doing kind of 10 interviews with this podcast and like already finding that I'm like really enjoying it. And like maybe something else will grow out of that. But like kind of removing that pressure of what something could be and just like letting it be what it is, um, Mm. I think can kind of like help with those creative projects. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's like one of my goals all the time is to stop thinking so much about the outcome and start enjoying the craft and the process way more. And like I do like for our mailing list, um, I do prioritize like every Friday I'm writing, uh, I'm starting a new, a new email thing for, for our list, but Mm -hmm. it, it has, it's less about like, Oh, I need to be hitting this quota and it's more about like if I don't have a a regular practice and rhythm it's really easy for me to get into my own head and not share my thought process with anybody Mm -hmm. and that was one of the things that I was worried about taking the CEO role was like um 
I think I've become sort of a, a recluse online in the past <laughs> over the past years. And I realized like in order to get people on board with um, the vision that I have for us, like I have to be constantly sharing it with people. So every Friday, like I write a team update and I write um, an email to our mailing list and I rarely get them finished that day. I always post the team update on Monday though, no matter what, but um, having that rhythm just holds me accountable to, um, to sharing my vision with people. And um, that has been enormously impactful already just on um, people feeling like um, they're, they know what we're doing and they see how it's growing and they see how it's shifting mm -hmm. and changing and they're really excited and on board with that. So, yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I think that goes back to, to kind of like having some structure around it. Like you have time set aside specifically for that. Um, and so I'm curious, are there kind of other things like either professionally or kind of personally that you like, have set aside time for, for, or like specific kind of habits or routines that you've found to be really beneficial? Yeah. Um, well, I think that one of my biggest strengths and also weaknesses, um, is that I'm a really, really emotional person. And, um, so for me to like keep up my emotional energy, I, um, prioritize like a lot of self-care so in the mornings like I have I I don't know if you're familiar with like Julia Cameron's The Artist Way her morning pages um mm. routine but I do write um for 20 minutes um straight every morning just whatever is going on in my brain um I've the past couple of weeks I've started um incorporating um meditation using the headspace app that headspace app is amazing i don't know if you've ever tried it i've never been like a fan of meditation or anything like i've always been totally skeptical yeah well and i like i think it's that's a whole separate conversation of the way that we kind of like gamify meditation but like with that said i've yeah. been like a subscriber for it like over a year and it's been super super helpful for me as well yeah well i think as an entry point for people who maybe just don't see the immediate benefits to their lives it's like wow this actually does make me feel pretty amazing and the same goes with like I've been um, doing the down dog yoga app for the past two weeks straight and it's so often like I love that app and I've never been like a yoga person either but um, just finding ways to constantly replenish my emotional energy because I just know that me being in like a grounded optimistic state of mind is better for everybody that is, um, you know, that I'm responsible for. And, um, I've also got five kids, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm responsible for like a lot of, uh, people or, um, and we're co-parenting with, you know, their, the other, you know, parents of all of our five children. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, with, and yet, and all of our, our people there that we're taking care of, it can feel like just a lot of pressure. And I think that everybody can feel that pressure, especially on the internet. It feels like everybody's watching you, right? It's like, oh my gosh, even if really nobody's watching you and they actually care a lot more about like 
what they're doing than about what you're doing. It can just feel that way, right? Um, constantly like comparing ourselves. Um, so yeah, those are the things that are really impactful for me right now. And just having like clear structure around like when I do meetings and how many meetings I do and clear limits and boundaries on all of that. Um, so. Well, and I, I think it's interesting too, like it sounds like your morning routine has kind of like changed. Like it sounds like the headspace is a little bit a newer aspect of it. And mine is certainly changing all the time. Um, and I think it's easy, like even with like a lot of that self-care stuff, um, there is like so many things we should be doing. Like we know we need to meditate and like we know we need to do yoga. Um, but finding the ones for you that are actually kind of like fulfilling and grounded um, mm-hmm. rather than just kind of like trying to have it as another thing on the to-do list. And it may not be the same thing every week. Like maybe it kind of changes as like your interests change. Yeah. It's like the intention for me, like habits have always been hard because like I hate doing the same thing over and over because I'll like, get bored or whatever. But the thing that hasn't changed is like, I realize like I can have a habit that's related to like my purpose behind this. It's like my purpose is to move my body that I can get in the habit of doing how I do that. I can change all the time. And, Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny, like it really is so addictive um, when you do something that really makes you feel good and that's why you're doing it. It it's totally different than just like, I have this goal to do this every day for the next, year um and Mm -hmm. it's definitely self-perpetuating yeah and so I mean like connecting to like specifically like how does it make you feel um I think it can be kind of hard sometimes because I think at least like for me I have a tendency to kind of go through the motions but then yeah when you do have kind of that set aside time for you it's writing um for like anyone, it could be like anything, but having that kind of set aside downtime can be really beneficial and sort of let you be more in touch with what those things are for you. Awesome. Well, it's, uh, it's been great having you, Sarah, and great learning a little more about kind of how you ended up going more towards the full-time route, but finding all of those creative projects along the way, um, and kind of how you're using like self-care to do that. Um, if people are interested in learning more about kind of what you're doing or what Andia is doing, where should they go to kind of learn more about that? Um, Andia.com. It's really our newsletter that um, is the way that right now I'm keeping up with people. I have a personal website and there's the gather the people website, but um, yeah, I'm writing every week mostly (laughs) to uh, our newsletter. So all right. Awesome. So everyone make sure to check out the and yet newsletter. Um, and then my last question for you, Sarah, um, kind of based on what we've talked about today and just kind of like how you've structured managing, like being a CEO and kind of handling like five kids. Um, how do you sort of find latitude in your own life and your own business? And what does latitude mean to you? Hmm. I think latitude means, um, freedom for me freedom has always been like a core thing that I'm always searching for it's like how can I be more free in this um how can I like own these choices that I'm making rather than feel like they're imposed on me from the outside um so um I think it's constantly 
finding ways that I really am free to make choices in every area of my life and um yeah sort of letting go of of things that maybe don't don't make me feel that way (laughs) awesome well thank you so much um and hopefully everyone else can kind of find those ways to carve out that time um obviously sometimes it can be challenging but even just like a minute or two minutes can definitely help you find that latitude Thanks for tuning in. So here's how Latitude works. It's the full interview you just finished listening to. Then next time, I'll break down some of the topics and themes we just discussed. This short, focused, and extremely actionable episode goes even deeper into some of what we've covered today. Make sure to hit subscribe to get that and other upcoming interviews. This is also the part of the show where I'm supposed to ask you to rate and review the podcast. Instead, I want to make you a little more actionable about applying some of the things we've talked about today. So send a tweet, message, email, or carrier pigeon to a friend about the one thing you learned and how you'll apply it to your business this week. Or send it to me on Twitter at Zavzen. Links and more are in the show notes at createlatitude.com slash podcast. And I just want to remind you that you already have the tools you need to create a little more latitude in your day, your business, and your life. <laughs>